Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. You are with another edition of Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen. We are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. Remember, you can keep up with us on social media by liking and following our pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you will find us at Radio Islam USA. That is at Radio Islam USA. So if this is your first time joining us for Radio Islam, we welcome you to the Radio Islam family. Whatever episodes you hear, uh, if you like them, you can go and listen to all of our episodes wherever you get your podcast at SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, or TuneIn. And you'll find us again at Radio Islam USA. So all that being said, uh, we are happy to uh, get into today's conversation. We're talking with Miss Miss Nasima Kanem. Uh, she is joining us from the UK right now. I've got her on the phone. Uh, she is the founding chair of the IPPA, Islamic Psychology Professional Association, which integrates culture and spirituality uh, within its approach. Ms. Nasima is registered with the UKCP, United Kingdom Council for Psychotherapy, as a systemic family psychotherapist and also serves as a board member. Ms. Nasima is also a member of Association of Family Therapy, AFT, and we are pleased to uh, talk with her about some of the great work that she is doing. Uh, and she was just recently here in, uh, in D.C. just, I, be, I believe, a week ago. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Thank you very much for taking the time to uh, to talk with the Radio Islam family. And uh, what they don't know is that this conversation was hard fought. Uh, so we went through uh, <laughs> quite a bit to, to get to this point. <laughs> the the conference that you were here for uh, in D.C. What was what was that pertaining to? So a couple of weeks ago, recently, we've you had in America the 10th uh, Muslim Mental Health Conference that's sort of quite internationally inviting also others to convene and um, have a dialogue about the men- Muslim mental health um, community. Okay. And at that, but, I'm sorry, go, go right ahead. Um, I mean, it, it sort of brought uh, people from all over America uh, or, or across, but also internationally. I think I was one of the, uh, um, myself and another colleague um, attended from London, America, uh, sorry, um, UK, and I think a couple of other international colleagues from Malaysia and so forth. So it seemed to have a slightly wider reach than outside of the American context. Mm. Now, you've brought something uh, in the description that I gave um, where you infuse elements of spirituality in your approach to uh, to mental health. Yes, I do. I guess I'll take a little step back. First of all, I'd just like to say I'm delighted to be invited to, um, to, to speak to you and attend your show and to reach out to the uh, wider community globally into the American context the Muslim brothers and sisters, but also non-Muslims. So I'm really very delighted, and I want to acknowledge that, and thank you for inviting me. It's our pleasure. And just to also then to say, in terms of like my particular interest and focus, I am practicing as a, as a therapist in, in the UK. And what are the latest sort of innovative way of... Um, that I've been embracing is bringing in um, not only cultural sensitivity, which is sort of something that 
people are attempting, but in particular, I'm also bringing it the lens of faith and spirituality uh, within that to my psychotherapeutic practice. You know how I work with <clears throat> um, particularly Islam-based approach to dealing with loss, grief, um, in in addressing trauma work, for example, which is a, an, an area of work that I'm specialising in. Mm. Which is what I presented at the Muslim Mental Health Conference to to my peers and colleagues, is to think about how do we think about trauma work and is trauma symptoms universal or are they culturally dependent um, within this cultural location in terms of how we how we look at symptoms, how we how we define symptoms and are those symptoms universally applicable to all cultures and contexts across the globe. And my argument was that it wasn't. It, the, 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 within the DMS, uh, uh, the, the American psychiatric sort of DMS diagnostic model, uh, as well as in the UK, it's very much a, a Western construct of looking at symptoms made within its particular time frame and cultural frame. And that these things are more subtleties cross cultures, and we need to be mindful of that because um, otherwise, we are using an approach that may not be sustainable and may relapse or treatment may not be longer lasting. Are you finding that Muslim identity is not being taken into, into consideration mm. um, as how is it impacts uh, the way people deal with, uh, deal with trauma? Mm. I guess, yes, I guess that's what I'm, uh, I was presenting and sharing and debating with my colleagues. You know, I'm working also within, particularly currently now, with Muslim communities and client groups who have emotional mental health difficulties. Like, I'm based in London within a couple of mosques, in a community, you know, within, where clients, Muslim clients are coming to see me. One of my work is quite high profile, based within what last year we had a, a massive fire in a tower called Grenfell Tower. Mm-hmm. Um, and quite a large majority of the residents um, in the tower of black and ethnic minority, particularly also a large significant uh, Muslim community. And so there's been a lot of losses of lives and family members, uh, quite a tragic context. And one of the things that I guess I'm trying to highlight in working through this is that um, PTSD, for example, post-traumatic syndrome is not a universal reaction to traumata. Traumata as in uh, as a plural of trauma. Mm-hmm. It's diagnostic, as I was saying, is based largely within the Western cultural context. And there's a reference for that as well. A Skinner and Catholic writer wrote an article last year, 2017, around that argument that even within the Western context, within the World War One, say, for example, to World War Two in Vietnam, the reaction and the treatment were quite different, quite like the First World War was quite, um, you know, it wasn't, it was acute and immediate treat, with, treatable with low-level psychosocial intervention, whereas the latter wars were far more complex and it required longer-term treatment, for example. Just to briefly highlight that, and I guess I was then bringing it back then into, well, how do Muslims living in the West, and for me, locating within the UK, might then... Um, understand and cope with uh, crisis. You know, this is in the context of crisis, my current work, or any kind of trauma. Trauma could be for, um, you know, migration, could be when you're leaving uh, one set of context, if it's not significant, like the refugees or the crises or war, or more sort of uh, on an intimate personal level, you know, domestic violence. It could be 
uh, views, um, rape, various kind of, um, uh, you know, trauma is really a significant event that one had never planned or anticipated that has a severe loss of one kind or another. So my sort of interest, I guess, the way I'm bringing as a Muslim psychotherapist is bringing the Islamic paradigm with a principle into thinking about psychotherapy and how do we treat the, 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 the Muslim mental health. Mm-hmm. And within the Islamic frame, one of the frames that I believe, you know, we're all kind of fairly within Muslim context aware of the central idea, for example, the key principle is that life is a test, okay? Or or I, I don't like to use that word test because to me that feels quite, <laughs> um, there's a failure or... or um, so I would use the broader concept that, that life is an opportunity for learning and a growth. Mm-hmm. So I'm bringing God into the clinical consulting room and when I'm having that spiritual element uh, to integrate that frame immediately in my therapeutic relationship. So... I guess I'm arguing that God is a loving God. It's the test or the learning of life journey. It's not about a punitive act. And therefore, the, within the Islam, the concept of trauma, you can see it through that context or concept because Allah's um, Rahma is great. And, and you know, he uh, brings us closer to him through Rahma. And even in tragedy, there is, there is Rahma, there's mercy, there is a benefit there is a meaning that we 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 kind of try to understand so in therapy i guess what i'm trying to say as a therapist for my client in my clinical space or room the relationship is very important so you know i look at therapy as an act of love as rahma mm-hmm. it's a sacred space yeah. and then i go on to think about islamic principle in terms of how do the muslim in the context of trauma then in that define the human self you know how how would how would uh, how how has God described His creation, the human self, and the way we understand, I understand, is through the primary and secondary source of the Quran and the Sunnah, and amongst that, and the classical scholars like Imam Al Ghazali, one of his uh, description, and I use that for example, is the Ruh, which is the divine sacred spirit, right. uh, the Qalb, the heart the akul, which is the cognition, the thinking mind, the processing, the reasoning. Then we have the nafs, which is the ego or the lower drives or the desires. And then all of that is closed in the body, the jism. So bearing all of those aspects in mind when we look at the, the human self in this comprehensive, holistic uh, notion of self that includes all these layers are very important for me to think about my clients when I am uh, hypothesizing, formulating, treat, looking at treatment plans, if you like, and the outcome. So this is sort of one thing that I bring in as a fake lens into my psychotherapy work. And actually there's a growing movement in this field, Islam and psychotherapy, where there's been quite a few research highlighting how faith, faith is very helpful to intervention, even within the sort of Islamic framework, even in the cancer patient, the mainstream, the research is evidence now when there's a terminal cancer or other uh, terminal um, uh, diagnosis, people have found faith as a very helpful way to cope and to come to an end t- terms with end of life. You know, that's that's really interesting. Uh, and I think that, that that is, as it was described to me, uh, I think groundbreaking and it, it just it changes the way that we, um, I think the way we engage uh, with this idea. 
of mental health from a standpoint. You said you don't like to use the word test, but I immediately thought of uh, the ayat in the mal usra yusra, right? Indeed, with mm-hmm. with uh, difficulty comes ease, and and some uh, have have I've had conversations where they say that within the difficulty you will find uh, you will find ease. I think that it's essential mm-hmm. in being able to deal with with the unseen or unforeseen. Uh, circumstances that that may take your life often uh, directions that you may have uh, never imagined or within your approach uh, is there an element of getting the the, the client to uh, a, a certain amount of acceptance of things that are beyond their own uh, ability to um, I guess to manage or ability to influence um, I think I'm, I'm trying to grasp your point. I think firstly to acknowledge you just taking the wind out of my cell. That was one of my dua was coming to the IU that I am. <laughs> You're ahead of me. <laughs> um, yes. I'm sorry. That is kind of, I will come to certain Quranic verse and ayah. There are many, but I'm only giving a taste of a few, which like you have highlighted. When we can use those deep uh, Quranic uh, philosophical meaningful uh, ayah, which is, is in a really to excavate that. It's not just a dry term. To truly process that in therapy, to unpack it, to open up things that we take for granted and known. And how does that then apply in one's individual personal life? You know, every everybody is has a journey, and their journey will be different. And I'll, you, I'm sure you're familiar with some of the ayah, which I'll come on to later. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Yes, uh, those ayah does, you know, like you're talking about, does come to mind. Yes. So w- one of, yes, those principles, you know, and an Islamic concept that I integrate into my uh, work is to bear in mind the spiritual domain as well. What has God kind of um, recognition of what is our free will and what is what is we're also responsible for uh, and our moral um, acts and conducts, absolutely. But at the same time, there's also the this idea of of the life is a, a learning process, even at the beginning or at the point some that it may seem quite dark and quite difficult. What message may one arrive at through the rahma, the blessing, the the deep spiritual uh, meaning to that um, experience or, or, or challenge in life? So. For example, you know, I, I, you know, even using, um, I mean, I work within the mainstream with all client groups who are not non-Muslims too. But in this, in this purpose for our conversation, the work that I'm doing, you know, even using, it's been quite significant in the way I have even used um, to frame our therapeutic relationship based in a particularly mosque. Clients would come and see me who have, whether it's depression underlying or any other uh, comorbid or dual diagnosis or anything. You know, you may come with the trauma or loss, but there's there may be other aspects um, going on. One other thing, I kind of even just saying the basmala and and acknowledging the beginning of a therapeutic session to the Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Mm-hmm. So that means in the name of Allah, the most compassionate and the merciful. And I I, I found to be able to say that aloud uh, immediately, the client and I are locating and framing that there is a higher consciousness in our work and what we might be thinking about, whether we're conscious or not at the time or later. I find that very powerful because I've, I've had clients 
uh, at times repeating me. Um, um, and I'll go on to some case studies if you're interested, just briefly to sure. highlight and illustrate my point. I use other concepts like um, we greet each other as a Muslim, um, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. But what does it really mean? The deep, the divine peace we're expressing to one another, mercy. I mean, I translate mercy, rahma, as, 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 as you know, the root meaning is the womb, the creation. And from, from that is an act of love. So I'm not a scholar, but it feels to me like mercy, you know, the way I might my patient is an act of love and the blessings on our works to to look at that within those frames. And we know salam is also a root word for Islam, which is to means to surrender to you know, Allah Almighty. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, a conscious decision to acknowledge our mortality, our limitation. And, and and the powerful thing also of the other Islamic concept that I found of use amongst many, I'm just highlighting a few key that I found of use and as a repeat pattern. Uh, you know, the, the concept of Allah has guaranteed all our rizq is provision is provided for us. And that means greater than financial or material wealth, right? Yeah. So it could be uh, a, a, an act of kindness, uh, a word of praise. It could be uh, um, a, a relationship with someone that's really healing and binding. It could be a friendship that you, or a teacher that's walked through or a therapist in this case. So I kind of look at the concept that is Allah sending us as a guide or signs of Allah's presence, His rahmah on a mercy on a spiritual level. So when a client walks through to see me, my job as a therapist is to really open up the inner heart, uh, my my inner heart, to receive as a transmitter for the client to give their provision. What are their right by right Allah has provided uh, written for them. So my job is to open that inner, inner heart and door to myself in order to find wisdom and inspiration I receive in therapy, which often I get that. And, and, and it, is, it is not just a one way, if you like. Also, as a therapist human being, I believe we learn so much from our patient and client and in the sacred space that they invite us to, to, to open their intimate um, fears and worries and and. and Dreams, you know, it's it's a privilege, it's an honor. So I feel it's a, it's also something a baraka that um, I, I as a therapist in some way in the process of working through that relationship, through that mental health difficulty, um, also receive something, some 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 feeling of love and light that I have been of use, that I have been able to help in my career uh, as a therapist with to others. So, you know, they're quite profound. When you feel yourself and you enter into those space, it really alters the therapist's self, and it has a knock-on effect on, on therapeutic relationship. And often when I work with, whether it's Muslim or non-Muslim, I have found great presence in our relationship and, 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 and the therapeutic relationship and very healing and, and binding, and, and the alliance has been really great, through which really ultimately we have to do the work. All mainstream evidence will tell you Ultimately, the key defining successor is the, that that relationship. All the other bit is techniques, clever techniques or tricks, whatever. They have an important place, but the key one that defines the outcome and the success, if you like, is the client and therapist feeling they fit and they can work together through, as I said, quite an intimate exploration of one's 
innermost um, thoughts and thinking. What you said, it really, uh, it goes counter to the impression that a lot of people may have of the therapist-client relationship uh, as being one of, um, that, that's kind of distanced and detached. What, what you're saying, it, it sounds more of a uh, kind of, of a guided partnership, if you will. Would, would you, would, would, does that sound like an mm-hmm. accurate uh, did, description? Did I hear you right? Did you say more like a guidance or? A guided, like a guided partnership. Uh, ah, you... guided partnership. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a lovely, um, lovely way of um, terming uh, to wording with that. I would, I would call it. There is that. There is definitely a partnership in the work. Um, and when you say guided, it it feels like to me. Uh, of course, as a therapist, um, I'm not an imam or a scholar, which would be slightly more of a information rule giving sort of element of the work what i do is work through that um if we need knowledge yes we would access scholarship knowledge both as a therapist and client often i have enough you know we have enough knowledge to be able to work through that but anything that was say tricky then we would um we would um access um further advice if need be but it's 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 not about information. It's more about sitting with the discomfort um, and processing that. So when you lose your loved one, like in this fire, you've you've lost, you know, your whole family member unexpectedly. And it was the fire was in, in, in Ramadan. We have other crises in refugees. I don't know. Look at Rohingya crisis in Burma and Bangladesh. where right. So um, where I'm also trying to consult with international overseas agencies. Um, I think the idea is being present with your client. It's not a, a teaching space in that sort of capital T way. Of course, information is shared if, if, if it's helpful. We don't tell clients what to do. We encourage clients to think about the choices that's open to them. We encourage clients to reflect upon how come whatever it is that brought them in their life experience at that stage, whether they could frame it as being stuck or feeling lost or angry with God, even sometimes some have challenged, you know, why, you know, so that all kind of thing that includes, you know, relationship with their uh, faith, um, uh, including human relationship with others, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I would look at it, you know, deeply as a therapist who acknowledges my relationship with Allah. I have a greater ethics, not just my professional ethics, to to be helpful to my clients. I guess as a Muslim, we think about that, you know, at every moment we are accountable. How could we be best used to our patient or our clients? So that puts a, a different frame when you're coming from a place of heart, a spirituality, and trying to bring, uh, you know, it, it's not a detached way that I work with, right? It's it's a more, as I said, that if I bring Allah into my consciousness, it's an act of loving. If I'm acknowledging my humility and that Allah has brought me in this point in this client's life, and there is a reason, and that maybe I'm supposed to help, you know, and the client also is there. So if I'm using the idea of their rizik, you know, we all have our rizik. Sometimes it comes through different forms and means and ways if we not if we don't look at provision in the very sort of concrete sense you know in a spiritual sense so it is it is you know my 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 the more i 
think about myself and my soul within the model I've described, that I'm not just a body or a mind. It it has a greater nuances and subtleties in the way I work. And that has a huge impact, I think, in the way I, uh, the clients perceive me and present, uh, feel present in my work. It, you know, I've done a review recently, and they've all kind of been, I've been very humble to say, I've really felt you've listened and heard. I've really felt I've connected with you. I've really felt whatever discussion we had that you were really present and tried to think with me. And the you know, feedback has been humble and very encouraging. So it's something I'm thinking a lot on and, and will hopefully to do right further and present, which is one of the reasons why I welcome the invitation here. So I wanted to share my way of thinking and to encourage uh, um, other uh, psychotherapists with a faith to think about how do we bring faith into our work because if you have a belief and you're also particularly working with clients' belief, you know, and, and even the World Health Organization and others acknowledge that the mental health includes people's spiritual, religious, cultural enough elements to it. It's not a biological model. It's the whole comprehensive element of care that we need to give to a client whatever background or personal beliefs one may have. Um, an obvious one is in this location, I'm bringing in a faith as a Muslim, you know, uh, faith. Mm-hmm. But um, I hope I've answered that in, in some sort of Oh, yes, ways. Def- um, <laughs> definitely. What have been the responses from other uh, psychotherapists of, of, of other faiths? Did, or- I hear, did I hear you right? Did you say how have other faiths... Um, think about this approach or other uh, colleagues in the field. Yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. How have they responded to uh, to this? Well, I mean, it's an emerging work that I'm trying to write and share more. I'm I'm presenting on a few other, um, you know, conference coming up this year, so I will get more feedback. But within my sort of cohort of colleagues and supervisors, clinical supervision that I receive and others, we we work quite transparently and openly. Um, they're very encouraging and because the success is in the outcome, right, and what the feedback the client are, are saying, how they found it useful. So if they have said that, then clearly there's some kind of congruence, there's some kind of connection that is working on, on, on many levels. Um, in terms of other faith, I think, um, I mean, the idea is that, you know, the old Western sort of way of looking at science as the only tool um, and, and looking at um mental health on a purely biological, empirical evidence where it's kind of, I think, in the recent uh, few decades, things are slightly shifting where people are recognizing, you know, throwing out spirituality and faith um, perhaps wasn't the wisest thing or people are bringing and integrating back slowly into the sort of modern or postmodern world that we're kind of um, looking at. And I think other faiths, so they're definitely in the UK, there is other schools like the Christians are using um, their faith into, and there is a, a space and a, an association who are doing that. Um, so I, it's not in absence of um, um, of that model. I think people are bringing spiritual aspect into the work of the clients acknowledging that they want to talk about their spiritual and, and quite a few of my my sort of private work, in a sense, you know, that's what I'm doing. People have sought me because they want something that's more unique, that speaks to them, rather than very generic, one-size-fits-all within the, say, the, in, in our context, we have the National Health Service and such. So 
and people feel their diverse needs are not being addressed or feel that it's a kind of lip service, not fully integrative. Um, so I have found that, you know, I've shared so far um, colleagues and others staying quite intrigued by that. As I said, I've shared at the Temple Muslim Mental Health Conference, and that was why it wasn't just open to Muslims. It was across any colleagues who was working with also. So there was a, quite a significant number of colleagues who were from non-Muslim uh, background and um, people were interested in thinking about this way of working. And um, so that's been really helpful to see interest in that. And even within the Muslim context, when I presented it, they've just said, wow, I've not thought about, you know, psychotherapy and bringing it in. In our training, we don't have that in the mainstream training. It's it's kind of what you're given is what the Western cultural model of training largely. So this feels uh, very fresh and relevant, uh, and, and it's highlighted. I don't know about your statistics in the American context, but mental health is significant in any community, and the need is high. Yes. And within the Muslims, I think they don't access services. There's a lot of stigma to mental health. There's a stigma to psychotherapy across all cultures, but also um, if you think about psychotherapy, became a discipline only after World War Two, if you like, within you know, became quite you know, a, a, a curriculum. And I think people are accessing uh, counselling psychotherapy only lately. Uh, even within the Western context, it was in the last you know, 30, 40 years, sort of people, and within our communities who are being offered that. It's, there's also isn't always a direct word to translate that. What does that mean? How does that look? And I think. You know, we need to be mindful that, you know, some of these ideas may or may not translate across cultures and we need to find our own model, And which is why the idea of Islamic Psychology Professional Association that are set up to talk with others in the field and, and ask ourselves, how come and does this work? What do we think about our faith? And how faith has an idea about the self is human definitions given. How do we understand and work with that within our um, clinical work then? Uh, if we haven't had training in that, should we think about how we bring that in rather than being quite reductive in the way we work? Well, you know what? We definitely want to pick up. We're going to take a short break. Um, mm -hmm. But when we come back, uh, I would love to hear more about the organization uh, uh, that you have founded. Sure. So, and um, so Radio Islam family, if you are just... If you are just tuning in, we are talking with Ms. Nasima Kanem. She is the founding chair of the Islamic Psychology Professional Association. Um, she works with uh, counseling and psychotherapy consultancy work um, in the UK. And we are just, just getting educated, uh, which is always a great thing. So we are, obviously, uh, we're on WCEV 1450. And we are going to take a short break. And when we do, um, we'll pick our conversation back up. Every two minutes, a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer. The most significant risk factors for breast cancer are gender and age. Mommy, give me a hug. Honey, look at this. Mom? Breast cancer is the leading cause of death in women between the ages of 40 and 55, and yet early detection through screening leads to survival. Hey, sweetness. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. 
Talk to your health care provider about what screening tests are right for you. This public service announcement is brought to you by Radio Islam. Juice, Mom. Juice, juice, juice. Mommy, why are we going to the store? Mom, Mom I want Mommy. juice. Mom, Mommy, Mom. Your child will have different needs at different stages of life, and that includes the car seat. That's right, the car seat. A car seat isn't one size fits all. You have to have the right seat based on your child's age, weight, and height. See, car crashes are a leading killer of children ages 1 to 13. But there's a website that gives you all the information you need. Safercar.gov slash the right seat. You'll find out about types of seats, when to have a seat rear-facing, when to switch it to forward-facing, when it's time for a booster seat, and when it's time for your child to ride in the back seat with a seatbelt. Protect your child's future at every stage of life. Go to safercar.gov slash the right seat. That's safercar.gov slash the right seat. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen. We are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming live at www.wcev1450.com. Radio Islam family, make sure that you are keeping up with us on social media by following and liking our pages on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where you will find us at Radio Islam USA. And remember to get the podcast if you miss any episodes you can get us wherever you get your podcast google play soundcloud itunes tune in whatever it is you'll find us at radio islam usa so all of that good stuff being said we're going to get back into our conversation with our guest today miss nasima kanum uh, she's the founding chair of the ippa which is the islamic psychology professional association and uh, we've been talking about some of her work uh, as a matter of fact before we want to break uh, you brought up the IPPA uh, and some of the work that it's doing. W- when did you found the uh, organization? It's been something that's been in my mind for quite a few years. And then finally, I've set it up 2015. Okay, great, great. And we have people like within the field um, who, are, who are interested in uh, into integrating faith, like Professor Rashid Skinner, who's also my colleague, uh, also, um, Professor Malik Badri, who's considered the, the father of Islamic psychology, modern psychology, and he writes quite a bit about how, um, as Muslims, we think about our mental health, and he's written quite a few um, books and articles on this. And you know, I'm working with both of them quite closely in trying to um, uh, think about ideas and how we can um, develop them further. Okay. Now, you know, you mentioned uh, some of the things, uh, some of the uh, basically saying that it's not this is not a one size fits all uh, approach, or at least culturally, you can't you cannot use a Western uh, cultural paradigm uh, Mm -hmm. in every aspect, in every instance. So one of the things, uh, one of the conversations that we've had here is the effects Mm -hmm. of uh, of poverty, uh, you know, socioeconomic status. Yeah. Uh, age, gender, all of the, the, these different uh, identifiers, how they impact access to uh, 
um, uh, and maybe attitudes towards uh, mental health. Uh, what are some of the, the 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 things that are impacting, or or are those issues like like gender and mm. age, uh, mm. income, are those also um, uh, present mm-hmm. factors mm-hmm. in the UK? No, that's a really helpful question, just to remind the widest sort of social um, set of circumstances. Um, I think, you know, globally, but also even in the Western, uh, with America and the UK, you know, Muslim living in non-Muslim countries or contexts where they have to obviously, you know, find and integrate their sense of self and belonging and place within the wider culture, um, because it's a migrant community in the last, 5,200 years or longer, but, you know, I'm just looking at the current. Um, so, so poverty plays a part in, in terms of, the, you know, what choices one makes about their lifestyle or health and well-being, um, you know, education. But, you know, even as you're saying gender, I think in terms of practically on a ground level, I would say more women are trying to access this uh, service, this kind of services. And men, when I work with couple counselling and marital counselling, uh, may come through because of that family uh, dilemma. But still, it's uh, quite hard work bringing the men into the equation. Um, I do see men one-to-one, uh, Muslim men, um, who, who are informed and aware and realise they need to work on their emotional um, you know, just being, you know, looking at even even a preventive um, aspect. Usually, they leave things far, far later when things have got quite saturated for years and decades. Even the the problem. So, um, you know, working. I mean, even taboo subjects I work around with, where I think you know things that never fully uh, get talked about or addressed as they may, can have an effect on mental health. So, you know. What do I mean? Feeling of you know, there's huge um, areas of guilt and shame. Um, there is issues around even sexuality, um, sexual identity, um, uh, relationship people may have, and the impact it's having on on them. Uh, what I mean about sexual um, experience, you know, gay Muslim men and women also, which is another area that I think men are not having the space to. Think, go to somebody and work through some of those taboo subjects and aspects. Um, I think, um, like I said, you know, gender is a huge aspect, and that's not just to the Muslim community in general. Uh, it, it still needs lots of mental health promotion and raising awareness that every one of us has mental health well-being. And I don't mean that this is mental health as a negative, is that actually all of us have a, a psychological, emotional, mental um identity and aspects to ourselves and we need to look after ourselves and if we don't you know and leave it and ignore it for years and decades it it has knock-on effect people come up with you know stress they're you know physiologically biologically have ulcers or um, other type of health that affects from stress and psychological problem has a direct impact on the body and of course on relationships so um one of the areas that we talked about and I've been talking about for a number of years now also, you know, that there's international agencies going out to provide uh, support for refugees and what they witness. And one of the speakers was talking about how trauma- traumatic it was that people come back and not engage with their own relationship, intimacy problem, uh, you know, because people are having flashbacks, unable to sleep or nightmares or 
um, you know, what we call vicarious trauma. So though you're not the first um, client exposed to that, but you are helping. And when you hear all these things and witness and evidence and visualize it, it has an impact on you. So we're trying to help the relief worker who also are being impacted and having, you know, some people have even had self-harming behavior. I think, you know, serious cases, even suicide. Um, so, yeah, socioeconomics plays a huge part to accessing because it's it's not even known in some quarters what is mental health. And if there was any problem, we've had people self-harming, suicidal ideation, uh, low mood, um, and 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 sometimes get, getting asked to intervene when there has been like a crisis when someone attempted to kill themselves or harm themselves, what we call tier four, like a inpatient level of work where you know uh, people are having breakdown of psychosis or psychiatric. Um, so there's quite a wide range of area, you know, and we all have different expertise and different elements that we work in the mainstream quite multidisciplinary, and I think. Within the sort of what we work with in the Muslim community, we need to be also holistic in the way. If you look at the classical Islamic period, we had a physician, the Hakim, who would provide the treatment. We also had the uh, tip medicine within the Islamic, which is the lifestyle, the food you take and diet. You has a huge impact on one's mental and emotional well-being. And even in the mainstream, we talk about how important it is to have exercise uh, and, and diet. So if you look at it really you'll see that all these things are quite universal principles that also exist within other cultural contexts that we haven't perhaps always understood or um, the heritage we have legacy as well uh, to bring those forth right right as far as Islamophobia is concerned um, mm -hmm. and and its impacts upon individuals and uh, and how that manifests in their uh, just in how in their own self-appraisal and uh, their, their self-image and, and its effects on their mental uh, well-being. In the in your clientele, have you found mm. that to be a contributing factor uh, in in how they they process uh, trauma or, or or issues that they're mm -hmm. trying to work through? Um, I think I heard you saying that Islamophobia, how does that present in my clinical work with my client or generally also within Muslim community? Um, I guess, uh, you know, the reality is it's not an easy time for Muslims wherever you are. Uh, and as a global village, has a huge impact on what's happening in America, has an impact on Britain, if you like, and vice versa, whatever degree, we don't know. Um, but um, being a minority community, when trying to integrate your faith into psychotherapy, um, which is what I'm kind of, I guess, doing in recognition that people may no, go, not go to access some of the mainstream service where they may feel if they were to talk about their faith, um, because psychotherapy is about, like, who are you? What's your identity? What's your coping method? If someone, they may feel a bit, um, either intimidated or even just just feeling unsure of themselves, how people may perceive, get, you know, worry about some of the prejudice or Islamophobia that might be out there. So maybe that's another reason why there's been an increase where Muslims are asking to see private Muslim practitioners, or if not private, asking to see someone who who has a, a cultural identity of another, um, um, you know, aspect or faith. They may think there is a connection to that, 
Um, in terms of some time in my clinical work, I've had people saying, oh, I'm glad I'm speaking to you because I think if I was to talk about Allah, someone might think what she's talking about or I don't understand her and then I have to explain the whole philosophy or the why I think that way. And then that's just so draining to to, to sort of educate my therapist about that before I could be understood. They don't want to spend time going through all of that and they found that unhelpful well not everybody but the ones that you've highlighted have spoken to me one even said to me and actually she's not a non-muslim woman of another uh, black ethnic minority identity but she's been through the the, the mainstream service all her life she's nearly in her 50s almost and she's never experienced um the care and attention and how she felt i was being our work both of us obviously working through uh, and it's been hugely beneficial to her, and she's never experienced that, even though she's been through mainstream NHS and other services several times throughout her life. So that really spoke volume, right, that people feel they can engage, even even someone who's not of a exactly same Muslim faith as, as myself, mm-hmm. or the framework, the fact that they have a spiritual identity and they want to make sure that that, that is understood and heard was, was quite a helpful acknowledgement um, but yes, like I said, those kind of fears are there. I think some of the reason maybe some, uh, you know clients are coming to the private space to access and asking for a Muslim psychotherapist. So when they're asking, do you integrate, you know, faith into it? Can we bring faith into the room and talk about it? I'm, I'm saying, of course you can. Uh, that's part of your identity. That's part of your thinking. You know, we we work and I specifically, you know, bring faith into the work. So. Um, that has to have further research, I think, is needed to see really how people are perhaps not accessing services because of multiple things. And one of the other things would be Islamophobia, a fear of being misunderstood or or even if someone were to say something like, I, I guess if somebody were to even say, oh, I think I'm I'm getting Wisrasa, they might think I'm hearing voices or something's wrong with me, you know? <laughs> So I've heard that said, you know, like, oh, if I say explain that, it's 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 a concept within Islamic belief that doesn't mean you're hearing voices in that way that you're going kind of like hallucinating or, you know. So there are subtleties, and sometimes people worry how people might be perceived if they were to express that, if they don't have that understanding and that therapeutic relationship. Uh, so, yeah, these are some ways it may manifest an impact. I'd imagine, like I said, our favorite experience is where clients have said things like that, and uh, clearly, I, I'm not, I, I'm not doubting that there's been some impact on some level, or shades or grays of that. Um, and and they, I mean, within the UK, there are many areas where they have a high, high level of uh, uh, black minority, and within that Muslim community who are not accessing uh, mental health services. And and why is that? Question has to be asked. Why is that? Mm. The know- need is there. It's not that they're not having, like any other communities, but they're not accessing uh, the services or at the, you know, severe end of it rather than being proactive and preventive. Give give me your thoughts on this. Um, I was recently, I think it was a, last year, I was at the uh, mm-hmm. the Black Muslim Psychology Conference in... Um, oh, were you? Okay, great. And um, in Philadelphia. And one of the things that... I was introduced to was this idea of self-care. So um, I was a part of a panel of uh, imams from around the country, and we were given some case studies mm-hmm. to look at and basically to hear what would what would our responses be to them. 
but in but after all of all of those things were were talked about mm-hmm. this issue of self-care was, mm. was brought up and that's a very good point yeah mm. so yeah I, I would I'm, I'm interested to, to hear uh, number one as a as a um, as a psychotherapist um, how mm-hmm. you how you manage that uh, yourself mm-hmm. and, is, and, is, and if that is also something that you try to impart with your um, your clients Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess within the professional, as we're helping uh, profession, trying to help others, our well-being and, and self-care is key because, you know, we are the tool that works with all those human conditions and dilemmas and difficulties. So it's very important part of the equation that the, the carers, the givers are also having their mental health and self-care coping strategy and well-being provided. So, um whether you're, I think, anybody in frontline work who have a connection with human um, and human stories and emotions need to think about that, how organizations provide that. And one of the areas I'm talking here, and I'd love to talk to you as a, you know, in your multiple hat, is imams and support we provide for them because they're not a therapist necessarily, or not all of them have the, given the uh, counseling or listening uh, um, skills, professional skill set. So that also needs to be part of their continuous professional development. Um, and, and, and that's what we have. Um, in addition, um, providing for frontline workers such as imams, um, what we call clinical supervision. Without that, I think I've, I've spoken to a number of imams in the UK, and they're all quietly saying to me that the, the years and years of working and listening to human stories had an impact on them. They feel sometimes sure. at loss, you know, how to process it to help the client with not the information, but that hum- emotionality, the human emotions can be quite overwhelming. And also training imams to teach them and training them to know, to recognize when actually this is emerging or becoming more of a mental health needs that they need to signpost appropriately within their community so that they can have that parallel service that needs to deal with that counseling psychotherapy space that the the imams will not have eight session, 12 session or whatever it is that's required to help the person to process and work through through those issues. So in terms of like self-care, I think that there's a huge area gap where the imams and others, chaplains is another one where they need to have uh, monthly or frequent, depending on what need is, maybe fortnightly, an hour with therapists like ourselves. I'm a clinical supervisor where I also see other therapists who provide that service and they come to see me to talk about the impact of their work, the clinical impact of any casework. Oh, and wow. we go through that. Sometimes it's not just about the, uh, the, the impact on the, on, the, on the practitioner, but also think how could we feeling a bit stuck? What other ideas could we offer and talk together to, to sort of go back and they try in their clinical room or their consulting room, whatever relationship that is, whether it's imam or chaplain to your therapist. So we try and help the therapist to try different interventions that may help them to open a different conversation um, and, and also, particularly in terms of risk assessment, it's huge. So we would ask the therapists or the practitioners to, to bring any worries about anyone. You know, when they go home, they have this gut feeling something's not right or they couldn't sleep for weeks thinking about this client, worrying and having an impact on their health and their relationship with their partner or children or whoever it may be. 
because they're going through stress. Um, so it's needing to look after and take care of what we call therapeutic clinical space. And often I do that one-on-one. I've been trying to establish that, but also peer support, so including the chaplains or the imams in a small four or five to come together and openly talk about the, the any clinical cases or any work that they've, they've, they want to share and learn from each other. And so often sharing with each other can be a very powerful and feeling less isolating way of learning. And we look after ourselves in the field all the time, taking breaks, doing courses, training, but also I, I, the IPPA is a space where we all get together every so often and talk about our learning, the impact on us. Uh, we try and hopefully provide in the future clinical supervision to the new trainees, as well as people who are more experienced who need a different kind of space. So often what happens is we deliver service, but we don't think about years and decades of the frontline workers or practitioners. Right. How are we going to provide this additional support? Because they're not dealing with, I don't know, a computer, let's say. They're dealing with real lives and stories and emotions. Hmm. Well, uh, you are. it sounds like you are doing some phenomenal work and uh, on the way to, I think, providing, as uh, what you said, um, an example that holistic uh, care can be given. Um, and for me, it's really important, uh, not just, just, not just a, as an imam, but uh, as a Muslim, uh, as a person of faith, to, to think that I, could, uh, that I could go in to receive uh, counseling or whatever uh, services I needed and not have to check part of my identity at the door, uh, that I could be seen as, uh, you know, in my totality. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been great to hear about this work that you're doing in the IPPA. Um, well, we hope that if you do make oh, your way back, you. <laughs> if you do make your well, way back here, go ahead. we would love to, you know, if you're ever in Chicago, we'd love to have you in the studio. <laughs> Wonderful. Invite me over. I would love to network and communicate with others like yourself who are doing that. Um, um, there is an overlap into the well-being and health and mental health is one of them. Um, and, you know, I mean, you know, you asked earlier, look, is anyone else ever visited you, recognized or acknowledged? I mean, I had the royal visit from, you know, in the UK when, when uh, Prince William and Harry, you know, who, you know, the, uh, the royal family visited me to talk about the way I'm working and because of the crisis that happened in London last year. And, you know, they, they took an interest in the faith and cultural sensitive way that I'm working. Even at the UKCP, where I'm wow. board member, they've been quite interested in... Um, wanting to uh, talk and dialogue about the way I'm working. So I think there there seems like some, you know, interest. So I hope that there is some currency there. And I think it's an area where it's a growth area where it's developing. Um, I think the mental health needs of the faith community, Muslim community, and how are we addressing their needs? Because many are in the community I speak to, are saying that they don't, they don't really feel there is enough comprehensive service throughout the UK, and I don't know about your context, but it's, it's, it's it, an it area that, that needs more provided mm-hmm. on both the client but also the providers and looking at the models we use, the intervention we use, how we're working, how we're looking after our staff is a very important part of the work, which is what I'm raising awareness and sort of really feel like campaigning for with both my personal work as a, as a private practitioner and I work with everybody. People even internationally call me on a Skype and wanting to 
um, access therapy. Uh, and it isn't just to individuals, by the way, or the couples or the uh, family sessions that I do, because I'm a family therapist, but also consulting to organizations and helping them to design training or offering consultation when they may have um, difficulty within their organization in terms of change model and development. So we're quite comprehensive in the way we're able to work within whether it's an individual family or a community or an organization uh, in, in able to offer uh, a way of working that's quite therapeutic and unique. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, um, I hope, you know, I'd love to come over and, and, and talk to yourselves further. I think we need to have that intercontinental dialogue and learn yes. from each other. Yes, yes. Well, uh, Sister Nasima, it has been an honor talking with you. We are praying for your continued success uh, and because the work you're doing is vital. And uh, so we just pray for your continued uh, success and ability to, to, to reach out and uh, continue helping people. So. I mean, thank you. No, I've really enjoyed this. Sorry, it's been slightly lines. I'm not sure if you're um, hearing me, but it's been a pleasure. And, and yeah, it's been quite a serious talk. So maybe we'll have another follow-up series where we can be a little bit more light. I've yes. been throwing a lot of ideas <laughs> in there. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. All right, Radio Islam family, we have come to the close of another edition of Radio Islam. We want to thank you for tuning in, for listening. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and put up uh, uh, Sister Nasima Kanum, uh, her website. We'll make sure that's, that's up on the uh, website when this edition goes to podcast. So that being said, we want to thank our engineers over at WCEV for making sure we come through loud and clear. Uh, I'm your host and producer, engineer uh, Tariq el um, we want to thank our executive producer, Abdul Malik Mujahid. And with that, we're going to remind you that the views expressed uh, by the host uh, and guest are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Inc. All right. With that, now we're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.